Hard Pills podcast, where we are exploring the intersection of race and pop culture and seeking practical insights for social change. I am your host, Trish's. Andre is out this week again in his trip to South Africa. Um, he's meeting with some incredible, um, incredible social justice leaders out there, and he's going to tell us all about that. But this week, I am joined by Torre. Torre, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So Torre and I are TikTok friends. Yeah. And I <laughs> did not know what a big deal you are. Torre is kind of a big deal. So... <laughs> He's an author. Um, he is a journalist. He's a pop culture critic. He's written for the New York Times, the New Yorker, Ebony, Essence, uh, the Washington Post. Um, it's, it's 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 very impressive, very impressive um, biography. But I was just like, yeah, my TikTok friend Tori, he really likes Succession too. Maybe he'll talk about Succession to me. Okay, wait, hold on. So, so, so I want to say this. So I spent about a year just watching on TikTok, right? Just, just looking before I started creating and trying to figure out like, well, if I was to create, like, who would I be? And like, what would I do? And like, I don't want to dance. I don't want to dance at a party, much less dance on a screen. Right. And I don't want to be silly and I don't want to tell you. And I was like, but this is what I don't know how to do it. And then, like, when I found, like, you and a couple other people who are, like, in your vein, I was like, oh, like, this is it. Like, like the older brother or sister who's like, I'm not playing your games. I'm here to talk about, like, serious issues in, like, a nice way, explain racial justice or whatever it is, and move on. I'm not, like, getting into wars and commenting and dancing and doing trends. I'm, like, I'm just in my lane dispensing my knowledge and I was like that's that's how you do it and so you helped me understand like where where would I fit in this community um because you know TikTok they're constantly like I want to speak to the older generation on TikTok people over 35 and I'm like Jesus Christ I'm like way over 35 like what are you doing to me so the mature wing of hip-hop of of, of of TikTok I was like okay here we go this Trisha's is that and a couple other people so I was sort of like, okay, I'm sort of following the vibe. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I have been forced to be on the cutting edge of, of social media, as that is a lot of my life. So <laughs> I, um, I actually, I, I've been doing short form video stuff for so long. Um, I'm a musician. I, I do a bunch of other stuff, but um, at the core of it, I'm a musician. And I was like, I can't do the singing to the... I can't do the singing to the camera. Really? The words over it. I was like, I can't do it. I don't have it in me. That's like 
fundamentally, like the people that do it and are great at it, that's so great for them. But like fundamentally, that is not how I want to spend my time on earth. Like I, I can't, I can't. Well, let me just say for, for the people who are hearing the other side of that, cause I watched, you know, I mean, I've seen all your videos. So I watched like a hundred videos of like racial justice. What race am I? Like all that sort of stuff. And then you did one where you were singing and playing. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. This is a, oh, I need, let me catch my breath. That was so nice. The guitars are not just for show. She really knows what she's doing. I do. I do. I, I, I went to a lot of music school and there will be more music on my, my platform for sure. Um, but my art and my music has always been, um, are around these sort of issues. And, um, it, it made a lot more sense to me to just be speaking directly about these issues because I felt like the audience that would appreciate the art about those issues would also just like appreciate um, me talking about it. So I think TikTok has been, it's stressful because like, you know, the internet thrives off of um, negative feedback. And so you have to have like sort of a tough skin, but um, though the communities that are made in these sort of sections of TikTok, I think is really cool. Yeah, I you know, I used to spend a lot of time on Twitter. Twitter came very naturally to me. It's a writing game. I got it. I can do this. And I figured out pretty quickly how to work Twitter and how to have the voice I wanted to have. The Elon era, it's very right wing. What yeah. I, I you know, I'm in an argument with a hundred people who are like, of course, oh, 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 a pregnant nurse comes off of her shift and she's trying to steal from some black thugs. Get out of here. I'm like, I, I see that like constantly, constantly. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, if you approach the situation with a pregnant white woman must be right and young black boys must be thugs. Well, then, yeah, you would conclude surely she's right and they're wrong. Uh, if, we, if you ignore the actual testimony and the actual evidence. Right. Um, to me, this, and you bring up something too, to me, this place has been much more nice and much more free, much more creative and much more accepting of different ideas. But part of that is gender privilege and that I know women online social get a lot more hate thrown at them. I don't, my DMs don't look like that. Right. And I know other women I've been close to have been like, oh, yeah, my DMs are, you know, a shit show. And I'm like, that, that doesn't happen to me. Right. And that's happening to your comments. People are attacking you. They don't it doesn't really, you know, and I understand why that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you also are working on a podcast. I think is this the, the first season of Being Black the 80s? Yes. Being Black the 80s. I'm super proud of this show. I've been trying to do this show for years. And finally, when I got with the Grio, um, they were like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I've been trying to do this for a long time. And they were like, great, go do it. Um, we because I think that great music speaks to the time that it comes from, right? It, it relates to the moment that it comes from. So I was like, okay, so let's look at songs from the 80s that and see like the big issues that that come out of those songs for me. So we can tell a sort of political story of the 80s through some of the great songs. Um, so like, for example, you know, Tracy Chapman's Fast Car is the first episode. She's talking about poverty, right? The, and, and, and Black poverty expands in the 80s. 
Um, you know, at the same time, we would never have known who she was if not for Afrocentrism. She blows up by performing at Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday concert when he was still in prison and we thought he would never get out. So 600 million people are watching because in the 80s, we were Afrocentric, we, are dias we were diasporic, Africa's problems are our problems. So, you know, if they're not free, we're not free. So if a Nelson Mandela birthday concert, like we're watching. Tracy Chapman performed at that. 600 million people. It seemed like the whole world was kind of like, whoa, who, who, who that, what? Like the whole world kind of stopped. Um, and like the next day she was a global superstar and just her career just went, but she would have not even been there if not for affirmative action, that she right. was a single parent, single child, household, Cleveland, poverty. Somebody said, you know, there's these great private schools in New England. They knew nothing about this. I mean, they didn't even know that these schools existed. Um, and she ends up getting to the Wooster School scholarship, a better chance helped her out, and it transforms her life. So without affirmative action and Afrocentrism, we would never have heard of Tracy Chapman. So mm -hmm. I'm bringing out those sort of issues in a De La Soul song, a public enemy song that leads to mass incarceration. Um, I'm, I'm super proud. I want you to hear the one um, that talks about gay liberation, this Diana Ross song that mm -hmm. drives toward uh, the notion of gay liberation. Because I have people talking about, you know, well, disco is not overtly protest music, but it is, you know, it's mm -hmm. not part of the gay liberation movement, but it actually is. Um, so that's that, that episode is really exciting. Yeah, I got to check it out. Um, I think as a musician, I don't really realize how much your experience just informs your art. So your experience does not, your art does not need to be explicitly political to be political yeah. because your art is, is personal. And, um, and listening to the Tracy Chapman episode was really eye-opening to me because I've never, ever thought about it. Um, about that song in that context. I have to send you my little looping cover of it. Um, Please. But uh, it was also just really timely to have the affirmative action sort of um, episode and, and discussing that with the the Supreme Court rulings coming up around uh, affirmative action. Um, and it's it's really helpful to to see all of the ways that these things are linked and for people to feel more um more emotionally and personally connected to those issues when they see the actual results of programs like that so yeah i really i really appreciate the show and it's it's fun to see um like my my line of work in in that lens yeah i mean i agree that a lot of music, especially black music, is inherently political. So when I'm beginning to map out a season for the show, I'm not saying, what are the great protest songs of the 80s? I'm like, what are the great songs of the 80s? And can I pull something out of this song that relates to a bigger issue that's going on in the 80s? Sometimes it's a protest song, but quite often it's not. I, you know, I don't think people think of Fast Car as a protest song. She's not saying poverty is wrong, but inherently she is saying poverty is wrong. And this is what happens to people in poverty that they're trying to escape. I mean, the story she's telling in the verses is just so heart wrenching. I also listened to Fast Car 
very closely to th- to see does she ever indicate the gender of the other person and she does not i feel like it's shaded to think that it's a man but obviously we know that she's uh gay but like it, it, she doesn't she doesn't shade it in terms of like it could be a man or a woman i think she suggest there was a there was some line toward the end that i was like she's talking to a man right now mm. now i don't know that the character in the story is supposed to be her right we quite often have a story a song that's a story where the singer is clearly not the the i the the person in the story um so i don't know that was just one i mean like you know you do this sort of exercise you listen to the song a hundred times trying to find every little thing that I can like see and pull out of it. Sounds like, sounds like music school. Sounds like what we (laughs) used to do in class. Like put the, put the lyrics on the, on the projector and be like, what does that line mean? I think that's interesting. The the thing about the, the gender of the person she's talking to, because listening to that song while I was growing up, I thought it was like two buddies. Like I, I never (laughs) connected that it was like supposed to be a couple or anything. I was just like, oh, these these two friends, they want to like get out of here. Cool. <laughs> like, well, when she says there, there's a line in the course, I believe that she like when you put your arm around me, right? So then yeah. I'm like, okay, we're talking about. I mean, like you know, she's saying, look, I have a crappy job and my dad's really sick. This sucks. Yeah. Like, let's get out of here. Yeah. And it's like they don't even have to drive. You don't have to drive very far. Um, to achieve that dream but also within the core line of the song um, I wanted to be you know I would be someone right like I would escape this hellhole and become somebody and that Mm -hmm. to me screamed out this is what Jesse Jackson was talking about in his two presidential campaigns in the 80s I am somebody so much of what his appeal was uh, that he was a moral leader and he was an uplifting moral leader um, from the church. So, you know, I was like, that speaks directly to that. So we're just trying to make all these different connections. I'm really excited, uh, that we did an episode about my brother's a bass head, the De La Soul song, which I think is the best example of a song talking about the, the impact that crack had on families. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a true story. Pasadena's brother had a crack problem and the family was struggling with how to deal with it and what we get in the song is pretty much pretty much what the family was going through and prince paul who was their producer is there is here to talk about the making of the song he kind of intimates what was going on with the brother he talks about that in the end the brother actually got clean um in the song the character does not get clean but Mm -hmm. you know i wanted i in this series we talk about the impact of drug of crack on families, but also the impact of crack uh, on drug dealers and on and fr- on the community. The impact that drug dealers had on the community, because yeah, they're evil, right? And they they spread poison, but they had a huge impact on us culturally, economically, mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways. And spiritually, one of the brothers talks about who's a drug dealer, and now he's a journalist. Talked about <clears throat> that you could never smile. You couldn't dance, you couldn't laugh, mm. you couldn't be seen in any any tiny lighthearted moment because then maybe a rival crew, you know, your woman, another woman, somebody in your crew might think, oh, he's soft, I'm going to try to set him up. So you had to be 
stone face, which led to this sort of numbness, right? And I think there's this mm. pervasive numbness among black men that we don't want to be effusive, right? Because that's not that's not what is manly. Um, you know, and you know, and I feel it. And Royce the Five Nine comes on to talk about he's at his grandmother's funeral and he's not crying. And it reminded me of of when my dad died and I was sad. I was mm-hmm. despondent, but I never cried. Um, and you would not have seen me and realized, oh, he's different, right? Because I'm like, mm. the mask is on. So there's all these ways that we are encouraged to be sort of numb. And part of that comes from drug dealer culture. Wow. I can't wait to hear it. Everyone should go go listen to the podcast, Being Black, the 80s. We're going to take a really quick break. We're going to listen to a clip of a song of mine called Money, because when we come back, we're going to talk about succession. <laughs> Coins of electrum unexpected from the east and west. Land is on your own, your own, so you must do your best. Find some money, 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 money. Food from the ground ain't in the sound they package and you Hello, we are back with Tore and Tore and I are going to have a little chat about Succession because we are both huge Succession fans. Yeah. But um, I think both of us really absorb pop culture in a way where we are seeing society and race reflected through it. Yeah. So I wanted to hear your um, any insights you got from it and talk about my observations of the women of color in succession. Um, and you may ask, what women of color in succession are there? <laughs> well, um, there are three of them. Um, Who are you counting? Okay, I'm counting Marsha. Wait, why are you counting Marsha? I know Marsha is from Beirut, right? Marcia's and my wife Lebanese. is from Beirut. Right. My wife is from Beirut. Before we looked okay. it up, my wife was like, oh, she's Lebanese. She's one of like, she reminds me of my aunties. And I'm Interesting. like, I thought she was French because I thought Logan would not marry someone from the Middle East because they're inherently racist. Right. I to someone from Europe. He would be like, yes, you're. But no, she's supposed to be from Beirut. Um, mm-hmm. But in America, that is a gray area. Definitely. I think the reason I sort of consider Marsha is because I think the way that the relationship between Logan and Marsha um, works is really reflective of the exotification of Middle Eastern women that I would say also impacts other women of color. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people, you know, you see it with like Mitch McConnell. Um, you see it with like Rupert Murdoch, who had um, mm-hmm. like an Asian wife. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are are very confused by this dynamic of these conservative racist white men <laughs> ending up in romantic relationships with women of color. But there's also like a complexity to Middle Eastern people in America, right? Yeah. And just like in the Caribbean, um, Puerto Rico, what have you, 
there's a wide variety of skin tones in the Middle East. And just in, let's just leave it at just Lebanon. Yeah. Um, and there's some people who have a darker brown and Americans would immediately say, oh, that's a person of color. There's a lot of people there who look very European. Yeah. Um, and Americans might not immediately code them as Middle Eastern. They may not understand that they're Middle Eastern at all. Um, as you know, so Marsha being a prime example of like, I think two people would, could misunderstand what she, where she's from and treat her as if she's white because they think she's white and not realize, oh no, she's actually Lebanese, which I don't know which that is. Interesting. Yeah. As soon as I saw her, I, in my mind, I thought she was a woman of color, which, um, Marsha. Who else do you count? Jess. Right, right, right. Teen, right, a teeny tiny character. <laughs> well, but she's <laughs> Who's constantly we, like running and like afraid and like getting yelled at. I did love that she resigned in the second to last episode. And then in the last episode, um, Kendall's just like, new Jess. <laughs> he's, new he's Jess. Like, new Jess killed me. He <laughs> didn't even bother to learn her name. He's calling her New Jess. Like, wow. It's Uh-oh. a comedy. The show is a comedy. You come to it thinking it's a drama. And then when you realize it's a comedy, it takes on a whole new level. It is. But then sometimes like the funeral episode was like, oh, my God. I was like so absorbed. In so the absurd. drama of it. Um, but then the the woman, well, girl Sanaa, of color. Sanaa Lathan. I don't know. The lawyer. Kendall's lawyer from last season. Oh, Kendall's lawyer. Oh, I was thinking about Sophie. Sophie's my... <laughs> Sophie is like, to me... Which one was Sophie's Sophie? Kendall's daughter. So oh, who me, we never see, right? So we see her, but every time we see her... It's not even like her whole face. Right. It's always like framed. So it's like part of her face. Right. Um, she's like used. Like she's a character. She's like off stage most of the time, but they're talking about her a lot. Right. I think for me, um, I was like, why does it feel like Kendall's my dad? I felt <laughs> like I was Sophie. Like I feel oh. like Sophie in the way that Kendall continues to say everything he does is for his kids. Mm. Everything he does is for Sophie. He's going to protect Sophie. Yet he like will overturn this election mm. in, and will run a racist news organization that will inevitably harm her. And the cognitive dissonance there, I think, is. It, it represents a lot of my relationship with whiteness mm. is um, especially in like liberal white spaces. And I, I really liked the way that they handled the relationship with, with Sophie and um, Kendall, because it shows that someone's proximity to a person of color a woman of color um, can have absolutely no bearing on whether they continue harmful actions towards people of color. Well, also, 
your proximity, well, as a white person, your proximity to people of color can take you down a peg, right? In the final climactic scene in the conference room, Roman is the one who's like, you don't even have Roy kids, which he's also saying, you don't have white kids. So it's like, oh, the are you kill you're you're not gonna do a good job. Uh, I can't stand you, and you killed somebody, and your kid's not white. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of um God, you may not remember this. This is so random. Charlie Sheen and I believe it was Denise Richards were married okay. and they had like That's an true. argument, like a big, I think they got divorced or something. And they were on a, and somebody released a voicemail. It must have been his voice. And he's calling her the N-word. And uh, maybe it might have been, it had to be him calling her the N-word. And I was like, wow, like, wow. This this is your attack on her. Like, to call her that, like, everybody in the situation is white, but like that, like, I'm like, what does that mean when a white person calls another white person the N word? I don't know what that was. No idea. (laughs) I have that. That's so odd. Yeah, that because when I posted a TikTok about my feelings about Sophie, and um, a lot of people are like, Sophie's adopted because I don't think until the finale they actually Mm. said outright that she was adopted. Um, But I. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to even, even Logan, the way he treated the grandchildren, Mm -hmm. you can tell Mm -hmm. he was just like, these aren't, these aren't our like real family. And also the way that they as a family treat even Tom, um, they definitely Mm -hmm. have like a a blood alliance. Um, But Greg doesn't get it. Greg does not, right? Greg is still like, you're, you're still on the side. We don't really love you. Wow. Greg, Greg to me represents just the, um, that white supremacy sometimes is just like cowardice, you know, sometimes it's just like Greg. (laughs) I think like each character just like represents a different like, um, aspect of. Who did you think it was going to be? Who did you think was going to win? Um, I did at the beginning of the season, I thought it was going to be none of them. Mm-hmm. And then I actually kind of thought Shiv was going to make it happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who did you think it was going to well, be? Well, I started from the premise of we have to choose somebody who the audience would not expect, right? If the audience sees it coming, then that is disappointing. Yeah. So I'm like, so Kendall, it can't be Kendall. And I think when Kendall, I, I for some reason, I had this rule in my mind, whoever's last on stage is the one who's going to win, right? Because they're going to try to push other people in front of your face Look at this. Look at this. Think about this person. Mm-hmm. And then the yeah. la- the person who's going to win will come on last. So, right. But I didn't follow my rule because when Kendall was out first, I was like, so clearly it's not Kendall. And then they introduced Shiv and I'm like, not going to be Shiv. And I thought Roman is the curveball answer that most fans will not expect. Right. Most people will not. So it's going to be and Roman's third on stage. Right. Out of yeah. the main group. And I'm like, look, honey, it's going to be Roman. Tom came next and I didn't really, 
I never, I didn't think Tom was a serious. You contender. don't think about Tom. That's <laughs> the thing. Which is the whole pain sponge. <laughs> I mean, my God, he Matson said to him, "I want to have sex with your wife," and Tom did not blink. Like, yeah. wow, yeah. What I am a complete. I mean, like, even if you were like, that's fine for the, like, you didn't have any emotional twinge of like, you're just straight up saying to me, I want to, I want to sleep with your wife and no, nothing, nothing. Wow. You're committed. You're I committed mean, to being his sub. What it reminded me of was like, is it Ted Cruz? Is it his wife who Donald Trump was like making fun of? And I was like, yes. yeah, these guys. They, they they don't actually like care about um anyone anything right any, right any, <laughs> right, right 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 Lawrence O'Donnell once told me it would be a trick question to say to an elected official what would you do in terms of legislation and policy that might get you uh kicked out of office like nothing. Nothing. What are you talking about? They would always they would never do a thing that might get them kicked out of office. Right. So Mm. Ted Cruz is going to do as long as Donald Trump is the leader of the Republican Party, Ted Cruz will do whatever he wants. Right. Because he's not going to upset the voters who love uh, Donald Trump. Right. Um, I'm wondering if. okay, I don't think there are any men of color in the show. Um, certainly not as named characters. Well, 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 wait, wait. What about um? What about um? Uh, no, he can't be right. The guy who was like, "I'm into weird sex and I have a bad back." That the guy who voted, he's Team Ken in the last Huey. Yeah, no, Jose Hosseini. Yeah, something. One of them has a similar last name to me. I think is it Huey Hosseini. He was in the room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Stewie, Stewie. Stewie. Yeah. 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 Is is he not a, is he a person of color? I think he is. Yeah. Middle I would Eastern, say he's the only one. Yeah. Yeah. He has a Muslim last name. That's all I know. So, yeah. Um but I mean, they don't even give us that many black or brown like extras. <laughs> there are none. There was one. It's funny because you could be like, there was one in the um, the the wedding boat episode when they find out the Logan's dead. There was one other, I think, like light skinned black woman that hey, maybe. As we talk about succession in this way, um, I don't feel like the show itself was racist. I believe they're showing people who are racist, who yeah. are running the the white, they're the leaders of white supremacy, but the show itself is not racist, right? Like the yeah. show itself takes a position again. They're, I mean, they all lose, right? The show is is kind of looking down on them even as it elevates them in this way. Yeah. As opposed to a show like White Lotus, which to me mm. is racist because they are not aware of what they're doing by constantly giving us racist characters and racist moments. That that first season was so hard to watch. There's mm-hmm. uh, the the woman who works, the black woman who works there, who's befriending Jennifer Coolidge, who walks all over her dreams and treats her like nothing. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, the dad who has this whole racist speech that we're all forced to listen to, and no other character says that's insane. Um, and then there's the, if memory serves, there's the white kids 
who kind of convinced the local. See, this is where it really stands out for me, right? They convinced the local to go rob the family, right? Yeah. You watched it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then he gets caught and he disappears. And we never again hear what happened. Did he go to jail? Did he get fired? Did he get beaten? Like what happened when he got caught? Nothing. Did he get to keep yeah. his stuff? Did he get nothing? He So he was just a cipher to make the point about what's this white family going to do when they get robbed or somebody attacks that when a person of color a local attacks them and you know i I, like i i i have this feeling about some pieces of art are aware like 30 rock would put a character in blackface but that character would be mocked by the other characters on the show and made to look stupid i'm like so the show is taking a stand against that as opposed to i always think about this movie lost the sofia coppola movie lost in translation which only the white people get to be full characters. All of the Asian people are mm. are background characters who aren't full humans, who don't. And people are like, no, that's their the white people's experience in Japan. No, it's Sofia Coppola's lack of ability to imagine full humanity. For, there's no Japanese character who takes it. Really? Um, you know, somebody pointed this out with Isle of Dogs that not there's not one a, a Japanese uh, adult. Um, who what Wes Anderson's movie? Who uh, who stands up against what's going on? Really, um, I didn't quite see it that way, but I understand a lot of people were very offended by that. Um, so there's certain projects I feel like if the project itself doesn't have that consciousness of race, mm. then it can come off as racist. And there's other projects that can talk that can show you racist. Like I love the comedy of Sarah Silverman. I think quite often she inhabits the racist to mock them as opposed to some other comedians who I can't listen to because I'm like, this feels racist. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think what Andre would say is some things should just be white in terms of succession. And that's kind of how I felt about succession. I felt like the, they masterfully did not include people of color. <laughs> that's and, their world. Yeah. And because the way that they chose to treat the women of color when they were shown was impactful to me. And like, I noticed it. And I was like, yes, you barely see Sophie and Sophie is going to be harmed the most in this family. And you barely see her and Kendall will think that he is protecting her and will harm her. You, um, with the whole Marsha situation, I... I think it was just like clear to me that all of these women were in their own way, a commodity to these yeah. white men. Well, talk about, talk about what was your reaction in the funeral scene when the wives and the mistresses were all sitting together and like communing together? Oh, I... Part of me found it kind of heartwarming and part of me was like, why? Part of me was like, this is icky because they all loved Logan and Logan's the worst. And they're like bonding over their love of Logan. Um, (laughs) It's like similar to, you know, when um, when Kendall gives his funeral speech and you're just like, oh, like. Like, I hope that's in me. I'm like, oh, like, shmarmy. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> but I loved, um, I loved Roman. 
Roman in that episode, in this last episode, but particular in this, in the second to last episode, I loved Roman. Oh my God. Well, I mean, the speech on the mountain to Matson um, about you killed my father. I'm like, after that, we were like, just give him the Emmy and the speech, you know, as a writer, Roman's speech that he never gives, which he basically gives in the room, right? Alone. And then he gets to the church and he can't give it. I'm like, that was really brilliant that you showed us what he would have said, but then he doesn't mm-hmm. say it. So we know what he feels. We know what he wrote. And I loved how he's mixing. I'm going to say he was a great man. You know, we built satellites, but then he goes to the emotion. Sad, sad, sad. He's a great man. Don't you think that I look a little bit like him? So he's giving you his own notes for how he should do the lines and the lines. I was like, that's just fantastic writing. Like you hope to like emulate a moment like that someday. Yeah, I will. Um, I will miss this show. Yeah. What are you, what are you going to watch now? What are we going to watch now? Um, my God, what is there? Well, I love Dave. I bet we could do a whole episode on Dave. Do you watch Dave? I've seen the first season and then I like never continued watching, but I should. Should I do it? Do I need Dave to get back is, into Dave? Dave is great. And I think it gets better with season two and the current season is crazy. Um, this is a really interesting show. I think it's really self-aware on a lot of levels in terms of here's a, a white guy who's in hip hop and like trying to like make it with his, you know, his, his best friend who's black and um it, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant show. Very funny, very smart, very thoughtful. What else do I love? I'm not sure. I, I just started Dave, um, the, I just started the Hillsong documentary. You did? Which, yeah, which I didn't really know much about it. Like I haven't really been in, in that space. Hmm. Um, but, but that's, that's my current watch. I need, I need to get into something else. I'm going to feel this uh, hole in my heart on Sunday. We are going to feel whole. I mean, like HBO does this to us all the time, right? That we fall in love with Sopranos or The Wire or Sex of the City, and then eventually it ends. I don't know that this uh, The Weekends show is going to grab us. And we're music people, so like you know, if it's good, we'll be into it. But I'm not sure we're going to like it. Sad. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was really fun. Oh and it's God. always fun to to get to know your your internet friends. <laughs> I was I, I was talking to my therapist day. the other day. I was talking to my therapist yesterday, and I've had a week. Um, well, you know, this Taylor Swift situation has been upsetting to me. Um, it's very upsetting. Yeah, it's very. You know what's upsetting is that I'm well. First, I'm a huge tennis player. Right, mm-hmm. every day. Right which we could talk about that. That's a whole, there's a whole little thing within that. But then I'll do anything that I think will help my tennis. So I've become, I've gotten into soul cycle so I can get more cardio, right? Which actually okay. came from, I was arguing with a professional player on Twitter who's MAGA, but I was approaching him respectfully because I know him as a player. Everybody else is like throwing stones at him. And I'm like, I know who you are. And I'm going to speak to you respectfully. Yes, I think you should be wearing a mask as you go around the tournament, whatever. <laughs> we get into DMs talking about tennis and other things. And then he said, well, he does soul cycle for his cardio. So this MAGA guy told me one thing that I believed in. and I. Felt, but anyway, 
the soul cycle community is very loud about we are inclusive everyone is welcome you don't see that many black people in the classes or teaching the classes but they are overt in trying to say we have this uh, inclusive community right we love everybody um and and you feel the desire to do that right even though the recruiting is not necessarily so this is a community that loves Taylor Swift. There are Taylor mm-hmm. Swift rides all the time. There are Taylor Swift rides where it's like, we're doing her first two albums to this Saturday. Next Saturday, we're doing her next two albums. <laughs> so right, whatever. Um, and there's no that there's no break in the love for Taylor Swift as this Matt Healy thing happens. So I'm looking at mm-hmm. like, say you or somebody else going like, what is if your boyfriend is racist then you have a problem either you're racist or you don't care about his racism and then the next one is my soul cycle friends being like come to the taylor swift ride and like matt healy does not exist in that universe and i'm like guys like that this does not speak to inclusivity to me when we're propping up taylor swift in the midst of i mean like if if your boyfriend is racist you might be racist too because his racism doesn't bother you don't tell right. me we'll never talk about it you have no freaking idea that's ridiculous yeah it, it's been really for me to see i've cut out tears of friends through the last 10 years of my life the more i'm um learning to identify like how the different ways people uphold white supremacy. Mm. And I'm at this place where I was like, I have the, the white women friends in my life are solid. And now I'm like, Oh, got to do another cut. (laughs) There's another cut happening because, um, because you do see that sort of like fair weather intersectional feminism and you see um, that like allyship and solidarity um, for a lot of people only exists when it is a convenient thing to do. And so that's been really difficult. So I was talking to my therapist about it and she was like, well, do you feel like you have people that like, you know, like really solidly um, their their values align with yours and I was like well I have my TikTok friends <laughs> I I know I know they do um so well we lead with our politics right in our social lives we don't necessarily lead with it I mean maybe you do I do my mm-hmm. friends know my politics and you gotta align with it to some level uh, yeah. if you want to be around me I can't uh, you know I can't I can't be friends. I mean, you know, in in general, it's difficult to be friends with white men, straight white men, right? I have a couple who I'm very close to, um, but it's tricky. It's tricky. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing overt that they'll say, mm-hmm. but it's some smaller thing that makes you go, oh, we can't get any closer, you know, or we yeah. were we were a little too close. Let's like like you could be outer ring but you can't be inner ring because you know mm, um, yeah it's a it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to trust people whose um whose lives don't depend on them being intersectional and being aware um which is something i'm 
which is something I'm, I'm learning. And I definitely like lead with my politics in like any conversation. Um, I would say I would sort of be known for that in my social circles. It's like, I'm talking about white people in like two minutes in, because I need to know what you think about me saying white people, yeah. like saying white women as a demographic. Um, that was a big thing for me out of the 2020 experience, right? Because I was in the street, you know, every day, marches would walk, go past my house, I'd throw on my shoes and run out and join them. Um, and I really saw that I thought I was being unapologetically black and seeing some of the millennial energy, I was like, there is a deeper level of unapologetically black that you could get to. And you know, sometimes you get to that moment in the conversation where you're like, this, if I say what I really feel, it could make the white people in the conversation uncomfortable. And yeah. you know, like, I, I don't wanna do that. So I'll just say this over here instead. And there becomes increasingly a voice in my head of like, why would you, why would you care? Why would you, why would you have that filter? Why didn't you yeah. say what you really think? And if that makes them uncomfortable, then that's their problem and they're not your friends. Yeah. I, um, last week I had Ruby Hamad, um, who wrote White Tears, Brown Scars on the show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it for me is that dynamic of always being, um, being labeled the aggressor in the situation. Mm. It's, it's something I've like really internalized is that I'm angry and that I'm aggressive when I almost just like can't help being um, honest. Real. And yeah, I, I have like a just physical like aversion to it if I like can't not say the thing. Um, but I've, definitely internalize this idea that I know like cognitively like I know I'm not the aggressor but I have internalized that label placed on me so I understand like the the inclination to let shy away um so from wait, those things so 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 this guy calls me uh, it calls my manager and we're on the phone and he wants to do a deal with me. And I'm like, I'm really interested in this project that he wants to do. White guy, right? He comes to me with his black, his black creative partner. And we're in the meeting and the black guy in terms of hyping up the other guy who I know who he is, but he's like, he's like, you need to know how, how big this man is. He's like, he's so great. He's so down. He can say the N-word. And I was like, I'm on the call. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I said, like, okay, you're just saying that as like a general notion, right? Like, okay, whatever. Hypothetical. I disagree, but let's keep moving on. I want the deal. So later in that same conversation, the guy, the white guy goes on a monologue and he says it. He says the N-word straight out. Like, see, I got my pass. And Tris, I just, I cringed, but I didn't say anything because I'm like, okay, he's trying to show his cojones and how bad he is and we want the deal. Like, let's just get past this stage. And then, so we get to the second conversation, right? You know how these things go. Like, you know, they present you an idea, you go away, you come back with an idea, second big meeting about it. And he says it again. And I'm like, 
you know, within the midst of like an hour conversation and I'm texting my manager, like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, why am I, am I being so, punked? Am I being punked? So now I'm like, you know, if, if, if he says it a third time, like in that meeting or in another subsequent meeting, I will stop him and say, there is no past. You cannot say that. I don't really care who you've hung out with. Like you have to stop. But I know that I will have to say that in a polite and professional way, or yeah. I'm the asshole, right? Yeah. I can't be angry and scream and be like, you can't say that fucking word. Like, cause then I'm crazy. So I have yeah. to swallow my trauma and my feelings to find the politeness to be like, can you please not use the word that we have all told you a million times that you should not use? Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, it, you can be polite and you can you can tell him in a in a very professional way. It doesn't matter. Like he could still turn around and be like, this guy is aggressive. Like this guy is like likes to start drama or like he can still turn around yeah. and make you the aggressor, no matter how you say it. I mean, part of my thing is like, I'm going to say it to the guy and I'm just going to tell you the fact of like, you cannot be saying that word to me. And I let it slide. And I really don't care at this point if this ruins this conversation. Cause I'm like, but I'm also like, really, I'm like, I'm looking at his black friend. Like, why would you lead him into this uh, alley of telling him it's okay. You don't know me that well. Right. Yeah. So you shouldn't be telling him it's okay to say it to anybody. Like, like certainly not the first time, probably, I mean, not ever, but like the yeah. first time you're talking to a black person and you're like, really? Like, yeah. Mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Sounds like a weird, like power move. I don't know. Yes. Yes. And I, you know, and it's kind of like, I'm like, fine, I want this deal. I'll be the pain sponge, but you can't, <laughs> but, but not too much, not too much. But I definitely started thinking, I mean, you have that sense of, Kind of like to me, like your black friends or the black community, like looking over your shoulder, like, are you, you know, like, are, are you maintaining who you really are? And like, how can I go to my friends and be like, yeah, let this white man repeatedly say the N word. Like, well, what did you say? Like, yeah. well, I wanted to get the deal. Like, what? Yeah. Like, there better be a lot of zeros in that deal <laughs> to allow that. Yeah, because I'm not, you know, and it got to the point where I'm like, I, I now know I care more about not being repeatedly assaulted by that word than I care about the deal. So, like, right. I'm willing to sour the deal because because we're not going to keep going on with this right after we get the deal. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you know, that that's just recent insanity that I'm dealing with. No, I, I get it because I'm always like, man, I've burned a lot of bridges. And then back to my therapist, she's like, did you like burn bridges or did you just like, you know, tell people what your values are? Is and she a woman they, of color? She's not. Really? So here's the other thing. You I have was a white going therapist. Into, I have Kaiser. And with Kaiser, you, they kind of just like throw people at you. Yeah. until you like and I was like okay I'm just gonna I'm gonna do like one with her and like whatever and then I really liked her yeah. um and so I've kept her so when you go into how you feel as a woman of color is she able like like I would be like you know we're not vibing anymore now we have a problem um she seems to be like very supportive of 
everything that I say in terms of like the racial dynamic. But does she understand? I don't know. Um, but part of me, the way I, I see it is like, <laughs> I want results. And if <laughs> I'm that, getting results therapy? from, if I'm getting results from sessions with her, then I'm not sure if I need her to understand. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I had a significant, I don't want to say it. I, I did have a problem because I wanted to stop and I couldn't. I was seeing a therapist for a very short period of time. Um, because I had a bunch of things going on, but I was also smoking a lot of weed and I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how to stop. And I brought up to her, hoping that she would say some things plural that would get me out of it. Um, and she kept calling it reefer. She was older than us and she kept calling it reefer. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not talking about the same thing. <laughs> like if you're calling it reef, and she was very much like, well, that shit will kill you. And I'm like, I don't think it will. You're not helping. Like, uh, <laughs> so I'm, doing, I'm not doing cocaine. I'm like yeah. smoking weed. Like, eh. so anyway, I got, I got out of it on my own. Uh, no, that makes her. sense. I, I was, I, I kept her because I, I didn't feel that from her, but there has right. been like, like once I was talking about how, um, you know, like, like trolls and stuff don't bother me a lot, but if I am, critiqued by black women then I take it very seriously and that can like emotionally really impact me and and she was basically like then maybe you shouldn't read those comments and I was like I have to like that's my responsibility like my responsibility is to like read the comments from like the communities that I don't want to harm um so things like that I'm like I have to tell her what the like what I need to be doing yeah um because I was but, like, I, I have to be, I have to be able to re receive criticism and feedback from marginalized communities, or else uh, I shouldn't uh, be talking about anything. A hundred percent. But we have to be careful because some people are kooks. Yeah. Right. And if like three, four people make the same comment, then you have to like black and brown people. Then you have to yeah. listen to that, right? Totally. But like one person might be like, uh, I don't like the. You know, and it's like. Do I have to pay attention to that? Totally. But I can't not look at them. Like that, that's basically what I was telling her is like, I have a responsibility to look through at least the comments from black you and read, brown people. You read all the comments? No, I don't read all the comments. All the black and brown people. Comments. But I, I have a responsibility to keep myself in those conversations to make sure like I'm not causing harm. Yeah. I can't just like remove myself, like post something and then be like, I'm not going to listen to any feedback, yeah. um, which is kind of like her her initial um, suggestion was to just like, don't read any feedback. And I I think I have a responsibility to receive that feedback. I've um, learned so a lot with the whole um, with the LGBTQ uh, conversation. Right. Because I'm the privileged person in that conversation. And I don't fully understand, you know, when trans people are saying, you know, or the, the pronoun conversation, you know, I, I don't fully understand. And in my heart, I'm like, I want to be accepting. Like, you know, you want to be they, them, you want to be not, you want to address what it like, fine. But you don't, I don't, you don't understand. 
So then you're like, you know, I don't know if there is there a term for that. Like I'm like I'm like an empty ally because I'm like my heart is with you. I will march with you. I will like fight for you. But I don't I don't fully understand a lot of what people are saying, what the millennials um, and some of the Zoomers are saying in that conversation. So mm-hmm. then, right? So that you know, and I feel like to certain, I mean, like to a certain extent, white people are some white people on the left are like you know, I'm an ally but I don't understand, right? Because they don't, mm-hmm. they don't know. They'll, they'll straight, our lefties will straight up be like white supremacy, like what, white privilege. Show me, where do I, I don't have that much money. I worked hard for everything. Show me the white privilege. Show me all the times you didn't get stopped by the police right. when you were speeding. That's just, just first, just first off. Jesus. Yeah, I don't, I don't keep those people around me. No. I don't, I'm not around those people. But, um, yeah, I, I, what's happening up here? It's going down. It's fine. (laughs) Um, so what else? So you have the podcast going on. Is there anything, anything new and exciting coming up for you? Um, well, you know, I'm working on being black the seventies. Um, okay. And that's three quarters done. I'm super excited about that. You know how it is. Your first album is good, but now you know how to use the tools in the studio. And your second album is like, ah, because I really understand. I think I understand better the whole apparatus of trying mm-hmm. to tell these stories. Um, the, there's the, the stories. Of trying, there's fewer of the people around. Like in the 80s, I'm talking to like producers and engineers who worked on the records um, the seventies, a lot of these people are not around anymore. They're too old to talk to us, but you know, just telling these really great, rich stories based on these songs. I'm like, so I'm just, I, I was working the other day on this, on an episode about Afrofuturism, um, in, uh, from, uh, a, a parliament funkadelic song and you talk about Black Panther and just the, the whole definition and under the necessity of Afrofuturism and, I'm super excited about all that. I can't wait to hear it. And there's a whole episode about um, Jamaican music. Um, we started talking about Grace Jones. We talk about Harry Belafonte. But really, like, we talk about Busta Rhymes, who straight up says Jamaica is one of the fathers of hip hop and really does not get sufficient mm-hmm. credit. Um, and, you know, uh, Clive Campbell, Cool Herc, came from Kingston, went to the Bronx, and did what he had been seeing in Kingston. People, it's normal for them to have the sound system, to be playing outdoors, to be playing a record over and over so that we could, and you know, talking over the record. All that stuff was normal stuff down there. He just did it with different sounds, right? Not just, yeah. you know, and so, it, that, you know, that is actually, you know, Kingston, Jamaican culture just transported to the Bronx and just reshaped a little bit. And there's all these different ways that that the uh, you know Jamaican music is is a huge influence on American music, but on hip hop specifically. And we really don't give it sufficient credit, so we're going to try huh. to give it a little more credit in this episode. The, I was thinking about that when I was reading through your bio and stuff. Is that um, you have a Caribbean background? Kind of. My grandmother. Kind of. Well, it's kind of interesting. My gra- my grandmother is from Saint Croix. She had. My father's mother, she had four boys. My father was the youngest. Um, I really don't talk about this, but that your 
pulling it out of me. My father, my father was the youngest. My father was shorter than me and lighter, like your color or lighter, right? Huh. And like relatively wider, never fat because he played tennis his whole life till his 80s, right? So he's fit, but he's wider. His three older brothers were over six feet tall, dark and thin. Uh-huh. And twice during my childhood, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask him. And my sister's going, no, you're not supposed to ask about that. And I'm like, so like, how come you look different than your brothers? And my mom is kicking me under the table and he's getting mad. He's like, that is not to be discussed. And I'm like, why not? It's freaking obvious. What's going on? <laughs> and, so, you know, but it was always like, that's not to be discussed. Cause it, yeah. cause it, cause it made his mother look bad, but I'm like his mother, a saint. But I'm like, I'm not saying anything negative about grandma. Like, what are you talking about? So when he passed um, about four or five years ago, my mom gives me his birth certificate and it said that he had the same father as his three older brothers. And she gave it to me like, like, look, this ends the conversation. I'm like, okay, it doesn't, but you know, we'll never know anything more. And then I have an, a, a half sister who's 20 years older than me. And she's right before quarantine. She's like, let's all go to dinner. Me and my sister. I'm like, let's go to dinner. Okay. And she tells us, because I pulled it out of her. She tells us the story of my father had a different father than his brothers. I'm like, yes. Right. Mm, and he was white and Jewish, which, oh. which, which played off of uh, my sister had done a 23andMe. And found out that we, she and I, are 30% Jewish. We're like, that's a lot. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, the ones that are like 8%, you're like, yeah, that's cute, whatever. But 30%, like, that's a lot. So when she said that, my half-sister was like, ah, I got it. I understand now. So, like, so anyway, that's a whole little family story. Wow. So my grandma's from Caribbean. I don't know where my grandfather's from because all I know at this point, all I know about him is that he was white and Jewish. Okay. I don't know. I, don't know I mean, I don't know. I, I know all my all my grandparents. Um, I I know, but the two the two great grandfathers on my mom's side were just like random white guys um, that like very much like fall into the tropes of like. Um, white men and women of color, like my, my great grandmother, um, my grandfather's mother was an African laborer and his father was her boss, but he never claimed my grandfather. So he didn't get anything, but apparently this guy had like a big estate. And then my mom's mom was a Chinese Trinidadian mm. woman and her grandfather was a Chinese European U.S. soldier who also did not take responsibility for their wow. child. So You're from everywhere. I'm like, well, just from Trinidad, but I guess people from Trinidad are from like all of the places. Yeah. Um, but you said the Caribbean, Africa, Asia, and Europe, and America. Yeah, my 23 and Me was like um, African Chinese, like like West African Chinese, um, Indian, and European. So, could you date a white person? 
I I have. Yeah. It's harder. It is. Well, I think dating is just hard, honestly. <laughs> um, but it's a lot for someone to be able to understand. Um, well, obviously, like they aren't really able to fully understand. But um, I would say I have a pretty high. Um, high expectations for their knowledge on like social issues and privilege and stuff. But yeah. I, I think a white man to be able to keep up with you on that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, don't probably... know that, I don't know who that person is. I don't know the person, you know, I, I, you know, what really broke my heart the other day, two things I saw on TikTok. A, a beautiful Asian woman say was telling us her dating horror story as she was making mm. up her face. And she was on a date with a white man who told her on the first date, uh, a, a white six, I know uh, uh, an Asian 10 is this an Asian nine is the same as a white six. They said that to her. And she was like, horrified like you are. And he was like, but you're a 10, so it doesn't count. And it's like, well, she was a 10, but still, what are you talking about? Like, this, this whole conversation got insane, right? The white oh six is equivalent God. to a white, right? But you know, most white men, uh, probably white women, are thinking about it the same way, right? I got to show you. I'll show you my my hinge profile <laughs> because oh. I have, um, I have, I have ways to. Okay. The so first thing on my pinch profile Lizzie. says, oh, wait, it says, oh, my God, message me if you're actively working to dismantle white supremacy. <laughs> that's the first thing you see. <laughs> that, I will, it's that, a good filter. That's a perfect it's a filter. Good filter. Then it says liberal socialist. <laughs> yeah. That's it has my TED talk and it says my TED talk on how colonialism and capitalism taught us we could only do one thing. Then it's me playing at a Bernie Sanders fundraiser. Yes. So I'm like, my whole profile is like literally like not to be attractive. It is right. to filter out people. Oh, I, I'd be safe. So what, what is the good? Is swipe left is good, right? It, I think on Hinge, you like heart. There's like a heart and an X. Yeah, I'd be like heart that. That's, that's, that's my girl right there. <laughs> but no, I saw another thing more relatively academic. Someone was saying that they had done a study on dating apps and the number one deal breaker was race. And basically that most white people will immediately reject a person of color, no matter if you and you and you are checking for every other category, every other thing like that's the number one thing that immediately, you know, and you think about, I I knew this uh, when I was dating. This woman who was a child star, uh, a child TV star, like everybody mm-hmm. my age would immediately know her, right? Household name is a child star. And we were in the New York club scene of the 90s. So I saw her at clubs all the time. I'm going to the hip hop clubs. She's there too. I saw her for three, four years, pretty much at least once a week, hanging all over some one or another black man. She was always dating black men, right? For years. Then she got married to a white man. And it's like, just emblematic of like, 
that was play. Now I'm late 20s, going to get serious. Or the first white man who, you know, who looked at me and I liked, like, all right, let's get married. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Like, wow. And I was like, wow, I did not expect that. Um, You know, you see they will look down on you and devalue you in a, in the dating context in a way that will hurt your self-esteem. Right. And me, and that will make you feel like, yeah, I am lesser. Right. Cause mm. right. And not that we need their approval because I could see people going like, who needs the white man approval? Internalized racism is inside us as well. Yeah. And when they reject us, it is hurtful because it proves that. Well, I think for me, um, so I am working on a book project. Um, I know you've written eight and um, it's actually about the ways that I have internalized white supremacy. Love it. And there is a chapter like my my sample chapter is about how um, I have higher standards for men of color. Like mm, then, well, I've noticed in when I'm swiping, I, this is how I began to see a way that I have internalized this. When I'm swiping, I, I read all their shit, you know, like, yeah. what do they do? Where do they go to school? Like all of those things. Yeah. Um, and I realized like I have really internalized when I was younger, like my, my dad being like having to, to be to be better in all of the ways and me you want to see like, are you educated are you thoughtful are you but you're not opposing the same test on the white men who were well i realized a few years ago that's that, that's something i was doing that i was holding men of color to a higher standard like in a way that i think the men of color that i grew up around had to hold themselves to a higher standard um and it's, it's a problem. Like, and yeah. once I started, once I started seeing I was doing that, which I wasn't aware of that I was doing that before, yeah. before dating apps, because in social situations, you can pick up on those things. Right. Um, but so I, so, so in that, in the book, I, I talk about how, um, like the ways I've, I've internalized masculinity, um, and, um, the, you were talking a little bit earlier about the um the online dating like statistics and stuff there's a really great book called the dating divide that Mm. um kind of talks about all these phenomena and yeah it's really interesting and it's like really hard to 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 examine the ways that you yourself have internalized all of these things yeah I mean, it, it, yeah, it is. It it is. It and you know, uh, you know that you have internalized. I mean, we all have internalized racism, and black people will stare you in the face and go, "I don't." And I'm like, "Of course you do," and you do in ways that you don't even recognize. And like, I would be embarrassed to sh- like. I could completely point to where that exists for me, but I would be embarrassed to articulate it. Because if somebody knew, you'd be, oh, my God, like, look, you're so horrible. I know. I know. When I experience it internally, there is the voice that goes, you are horrible. But then you are the way you are. So then, 
you know, we exist in this society. I just found this TikToker, this white woman who talked about, talked about, um, she used to play a game in law school with her friend. If they thought a man, a white man was attractive, they would be like, okay, wait, oh, is yeah. he hot or is he tall and white? <laughs> yes, I saw that too. Um, yeah. But we really- do that shit too. A hundred percent. I think I just, I, it has just so much to do with, um, with really moving here when I was like nine and seeing the difference in the way that my father was treated in Trinidad and treated here and being like, oh, so he has to be like up here to Mm -hmm. even be considered like here. Um, and as a child, I, I internalize that as a social rule. Um, yeah, it's not pretty stuff. It's not. I mean, my stuff. parents, I mean, my parent, my mother overtly told me before first grade, you have to be twice as good as all those white kids. Just yeah. that, like that is direct quote. And yeah. that, that sense of like, we have to work harder to get the same um, was definitely stated in other ways, but um, overtly like that i mean i feel like like just it's like a frequency like to encounter a black or brown person socially like it's just easy to just walk up to me like hey how are you great like you know like we're the only black people here or did you see such and such movie or whatever and like we're immediately like at a party or whatever like we're immediate i can get to a place of comfort with them with other black and brown people very quickly, mm-hmm. right? And with white people, it takes like a little bit more effort, a little bit more ice thawing. Sometimes yeah, I it think- it takes vetting. That it takes vetting. Uh, but so I also think sometimes they don't see us. Like we don't mm. appear to their eyes. Mm. And like, you know, or they don't take you seriously, right? And I mean, I can see it because some, because almost all black most black people I encounter know who I am as I, mm-hmm. it's many don't say anything. Right. And I didn't think you knew who I was. And then at the end of our interaction at the post office or whatever is like, Oh, and I love your work. And I'm like, Oh, you did know who I was, but you didn't say anything till the end. Or we passed in the street and you didn't say anything, but my, my daughter saw it cause she was walking way behind whatever. Right. Uh, and, you know, constantly walking, but white people, it's less than 50, 50. They may or may not. So then you see, the ones who are like, oh my God, Torre, and the ones who are like, who are you? Okay, mm-hmm. whatever. And, uh, you know, like, oh, you know, I work in TV. Oh, are you a writer? Like, no, I'm on the air. Like, wh- what do you mean? Like, <laughs> I'm the host of the show. Like, really? Like, yes, really. Um, God, I remember I, God, I went to interview Coldplay on their second album before they were gigantic. Mm-hmm. and uh for rolling stone so it's a big deal for coldplay right rolling stone is here and i walked in and the manager saw me and he quizzed me briefly about like do you ever write about rock and roll and I'm like well not really but it's you know it's all music like really mm-hmm. and he called the office and was like is this really the like the best and they're like yeah, he's great. Wow. Like, eh. and Chris loved me. The band loved me. We vibed. It was a great story. I mean, like the whole core is like, will the band like connect with the writer and really talk to them? 
And mm-hmm. like, yeah, we were like, oh, you know, does he know music? Like, yeah, of course. Uh, but they were definitely like, really? You sure about this guy? Wow. You know, it, rappers would never question it. And at this point, most of them are like, oh, my God, you interviewed my favorite rapper. Right. So you just get an entirely different hello from yeah. from these sort of people. And you can see where I'm like, you don't really see me. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really hard. Yeah. Well, on that depressing note, <laughs> Tore, um, I'm going to let you go because we've um, we've gone way over our hour. So I thanks for you ch- all day. Well, we got to have you back. We got to have you back when Andre is here, too, because I don't know. Do you guys know each other at all? Is he black? Yeah, probably. <laughs> he he wrote all the white friends I couldn't keep. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh, book I've before. heard of that. Oh, I've heard of that book. Wait, did he make a documentary about prep school? No. Different Andre. Not that I know. <laughs> there's, a, there's an Andre who made a documentary about being black in prep school. Oh, interesting. Which, I'm fairly certain he didn't go to prep school. Um, but yeah, Andre Henry, he is usually, this is, this is, this is really his show. He just lets me, he just lets me do this. Um, he's like doing important things in South Africa. Um, so we would love to have you back. Um, I'll see you. I'll see you on the TikTok, you know? Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, everyone, we will be back next week. Andre will be back next week. We are seeing The Little Mermaid this weekend. so I'm going Saturday. We're going Saturday, too. Yeah. So you can expect to hear our thoughts. Bye. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music. That's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S. Music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok and at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.